See Beneath Your Beautiful podcast is raw and intimate, sometimes funny, and always entertaining. With new episodes every Saturday, Hara explores our love, spheres, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness. Today we're interviewing Maylee, and Maylee, will you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I am a wife and mother, a voracious reader, and 22 years ago, I met you on a yacht. <laughs> we're fancy ladies. <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody can say they met their bestie on a yacht. Especially a yacht in Coeur d'Alene. Like, that's fancy. That's extra fancy because it's a resort town. It was a beautiful, sunny day on Lake Coeur d'Alene. So the goal of the show is to offer hope to people. And what I thought we could talk about was when we first met, you were pregnant, but soon thereafter, we were both divorced. Yes, it was a whirlwind. It was a whirlwind. And you, I'll let you fill in the blank, but so you were divorced. There was mental health issues (laughs) all around and financial issues. And now you live on a beautiful house, overlook at Puget Sound, lovely, happy marriage and debt-free. Yeah. Such a change. Right. So there's hope in that no matter where you are, whatever dark spot you're in, you don't know what's going to happen 22 years from now. (laughs) (laughs) It was a big shock. The whole thing was a big shock to find myself in this position because divorce was never an option for me until all of a sudden it was. (laughs) Gosh, when I look back on, on my childhood, my mom and dad had a loving marriage. They still do 50 one years later. So the examples that I had growing up, there was no drama. There was no tension. There was no yelling. There was a whole bunch of love. It wasn't all perfect, but my gosh, it was very wholesome. I chased frogs and fireflies. It was just very wholesome. So decades later, to find myself in an unhealthy marriage filled with tension, constantly walking on eggshells, very little peace. My first marriage, we had huge swings. The ups were up, like capital letters up. But unfortunately, those up periods were few and far between. And the swing for the down periods was intense. To find myself in that position where my first husband said one day, I'm not happy, packed a bag and he left. It was such a surprise. Whose life is this? (laughs) And at that same time, our son was very young. I think he was two at the time. The house I was renting was on the market and sold. So all of a sudden, I found myself looking at a mountain of stress. I was grieving my failed marriage, newly separated. It seemed like it happened so fast once I filed. It seemed like it was done. And all of a sudden, I was looking for an apartment and I was deeply in debt. My husband and I had racked up like $40,000 worth of debt. All of a sudden, I was one income. I had no support from him. I I was a single parent and looking for a new apartment. And I had stress at the job. I had a quota. It was in sales. And if I didn't hit quota, I could lose my job. Yeah, it was just a ton of stress. I would go home on my lunch break. I would fix myself a sandwich and an apple and I would blink. This is me stressed out in debt, divorced, eating a sandwich, blink, blink. Yeah, it was all I could do. Just sit quietly, eat my sandwich and blink and then 
collect myself and go back to the office and pretend like everything was okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What about when you would schedule your breakdowns? What did you write in your calendar? I wrote MD. I would go into work early in the morning. I'd put in my time. I'd leave early for the day. While my son was still at daycare, I had my apartment to myself. And I would schedule myself a meltdown. Everybody at the office thought I had a doctor's appointment. MD didn't stand for doctor. It stood for meltdown. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) It it was a way of coping. It was so much easier to be like, oh, it's Monday and I'm stressed out and I feel like losing it. Can't lose it today, but I can on Wednesday. (laughs) 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 It was just a way of coping and giving myself the grace and the space to cry and take a nap and then collect myself, pull myself together, go get my son (laughs) and and continue to function. So yeah, uh, you're going through a hard time. I highly recommend scheduling yourself a meltdown. You know, another thing I liked that you did also was in your phone, you used to have, instead of your husband's name, you had Antonio's dad. If I saw my phone, And it said the name of my ex-husband. I found myself angry and fighting off bitterness. And I didn't want to feel those feelings. I didn't want to become somebody that was bitter and angry. So yes, changing it to Antonio's dad put me in a state of grace because I loved my kid. And I wanted my kid to have a good relationship with his dad. And just that little thing Mm -hmm. made me change my body my body language changed and the tone of my voice changed and it was just another another coping mechanism i know you are happily married you have a good career and your husband has a very good paying job but also you've worked hard in terms of budgeting and stuff tell me about that being stressed out about money for so long for all those years i was just so hungry. I knew there had to be a better way. I was just determined if it was out there, I was going to find it. And if somebody else could do it, I could do it too. Just tell me what to do. And I got really into budgeting. I called it my spending plan. (laughs) And I didn't just read Dave Ramsey. I read all kinds of self-help books that would help me deal with divorce and single parenting and budgeting and finance and saving and The Dave Ramsey system, they have a six baby steps. You start off with first trying to save $1,000 for an emergency fund and then listing your debts in order, smallest, greatest. And you focus on the smallest one and you throw all the extra money that you can on that small one until it's paid off. They call it the debt snowball. And it really did work. I was with a narcissistic man with an anger management problem for 10 years. And so when I no longer walked on eggshells, I had my own apartment. I lived in low-income housing and I was happy as a clam. I loved my apartment. It was mine. And I was the one decorating it and cleaning it or not cleaning it. Nobody was going to walk into my apartment and freak out about dirty dishes. Oh, well. Oh, I loved my apartment and I just felt so free. I mean, when you try to run a marathon, dragging an anchor and chains, uh, yeah, it's not such a happy time. So I, I lost my mind a little bit. I was drunk in joy when I got my feet under me. 
mm-hmm. and went went a little boy crazy, dated a bit, had some misadventures and some adventures. <laughs> and I was not going to fall in love. Love was stupid, but having fun was smart until I fell in love <laughs> and eventually got remarried and had another kid. And I feel like so lucky and so blessed and fortunate. Now I just feel like I have such a good life. I'm so thankful. That's awesome. Somebody who is going through a hard time. Do you have any words of wisdom? I am who I am today because of what I have been through. I wouldn't want to go back and do all those hard times again, but I, I'm so thankful for who I am today. I feel like I am all italics, great, grateful, you know, just. This makes me think of this by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And it's exactly the point of this podcast that I think we're all beautiful. That's why it's See Beneath You Beautiful. But she says, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These people have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. And that's it, right? You have to go through all your stuff and there's always hope. I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay to feel your feelings when you're going through a hard time. Mm -hmm. It's okay to cry and it's okay to be angry or whatever it is. It's okay to feel it because you, you know, this too shall pass. Even when I was completely numb from the shock of something I never thought would happen, happened to me. I never gave up hope, even when I was depressed, even sad and stressed. I think my faith kicked in a bit too, because there's Bible verses that say, God's got good things for me. And so I just always believed, I don't know when I'm going to see him, but there's going to come a better day. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it, it did turn out. So let's talk about your love of books. We need to talk about books. I knew you'd be excited. (laughs) (laughs) This is not the air date, but today is May 20th. How many books have you read so far this year? 95. 95 books. (laughs) I don't know if I've read 95 pages. My goal was 100 books this year, but I'm already at 95. So I'm going to have to... Yeah, up your goal. Yeah. And why do you have a goal? of so many books per year because you don't need a goal because you're voracious in your reading. Do you just like having goals? I'm part of a book club, the Tacoma Public Library Extreme Reader Challenge. I heard some theme music there in my head. So what does that mean? Are you competing against people? Because we we know we're a little competitive girls. I'm not competing. I did the first year. I wanted to be the first one done with my with my books. There's 55 categories. The challenge is 50 books in a year. But I flew through my first 50. I did it in less than three months. I just was a reading machine. And then I thought, well, maybe I could do 100. So I I actually did like 179 books last year. So I love reading. And this year, I'm already at 95. So I don't know what I'll do. But I'm not in a hurry this year. I don't feel competitive this year. I'm I'm completely whimsical with my book choices. I'm a promiscuous reader. I will pick up any author, genre, fiction, nonfiction. Yeah, I'm all over the board. And last year you did 
a whole reading library on Black Lives Matter, right? Yes. Yes, I did. I'm still. What were some of the books you read that real in that genre that affected you? So many. Wow. Did I get an education? White Fragility and So You Want to Talk About Race were two books that made a big impact on me. And from there, reading about Martin Luther King Jr. and then Malcolm X and then Frederick Douglass. And then I read books on the history of racism and different types of racism. And because I just went down this rabbit hole. Well, what does systemic racism really mean? And so I read books about an ugly topic, but I wanted to understand. I wanted history and I wanted context. And I wanted to know what do I need to know so that I don't make the problem worse? And how am I a better ally? And what can I do in my little sphere of influence to be more inclusive? I have read over 32 books now on the Black Lives Matter recommended reading list. My library put it out and I just dove into it. Do you think years ago you would have been willing to read these books? I think years ago, I would have had a hard time with white fragility in particular. I didn't read the book. Why is that? Because back in the day, I don't think I was receptive and ready to understand what privilege means. And now I am so ready to understand and examine and not get defensive because, oh my goodness, I am a white, cisgendered, neurotypical, able-bodied woman in the United States. I have a ton of privilege and I am thankful. I'm grateful and I want to put it to good use. And how can I be a good human? And Mm -hmm. so I have, I have spent hundreds of hours studying and learning and then putting it into use. I was asking, would you have a hard time with it a long time ago? More because if I'm remembering correctly, you always kind of liked fluffy books, like you didn't want anything too traumatic. So are you willing to be traumatized a little bit more now? (laughs) And I think the answer is yes, but why is that? Why are you a different person now in terms of what you're willing to read? I can remember years ago, you and I would have conversations about one of your favorite books, Angela's Ashes. When you would describe it to me, I would just, I was horrified. Why would anybody intentionally read such a sad book? I think It took me years to decompress from my past. I recharged my battery, you know? Mm -hmm. I wasn't running on on empty. So I could handle reading someone else's trauma Mm. and it didn't impact my own level of joy. Mm -hmm. I I could read it and empathize and be compassionate for somebody, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have a my imagination gets the best of me. And so I'm not just reading it, I'm feeling it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I'm in a place now where, yeah, I've healed enough. I've recharged my battery and I can tackle. I've read books about the Holocaust and slavery and genocide. And reading a book about someone that was a POW mm-hmm. touched my heart and also made me really appreciate all my freedoms. Mm-hmm. And reading a story of a woman who was uh, sold into a marriage at the age of 14 to a man who was 50 made me go hug my 14-year-old daughter and talk to her about, you have so much power and choice and 
and privilege born in this country and, and to your parents and just taking a moment to savor the weight. Because I feel like with all this privilege comes a responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so let's just take a minute and acknowledge that and try to be good people and put it to use. Mm-hmm. Try not to take it for granted. Try not to fall into complacency. Yeah. Is there a book that you loved that transformed you in some way? Ogmandino's book, The Greatest Miracle. It's a fiction book and there's one section in there called The God Memorandum. And a friend of mine challenged me to read that every day for a hundred days. And let me tell you, I like to read, but reading the same thing every day for a hundred days. But I did it. And that exercise did have a powerful impact on me when I needed it the most. I think that was back in the late 90s. And it's old school, but Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People helped me a lot in my job and my personal life. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, that book had a big impact on me as well. I know you read a lot of self-help books. Is there one that you would recommend to your 14-year-old daughter? My daughter does not enjoy reading. Are you so sad? I was, but I'm not now because my daughter is her own person and doesn't have to be a mini-me. And it's okay that we're into different things. She's a talented artist and does wonderful things with her drawing and sketching. And I don't. And so let's just, it's okay to be different. So I'm not sad anymore that she doesn't like to read. Mm -hmm. Um, There is a cute little book. It's very sweet and precious. The boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse by Charlie McAfee. It's got Pooh Bear vibes. It's warm and fuzzy and it's super short. And there are wonderful illustrations on each page. And that is one book that I would recommend to my 14-year-old who doesn't like to read but likes art. Mm-hmm. it's got a nice message to it. And it's like a warm, fuzzy hug. So I think that's what I would recommend for her. Do you have a favorite genre of book at the moment? Not anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I like history and I like historical fiction and memoirs and biographies and autobiographies. And I'm just all over the place. I will tell you, I just recently read Mary Shelley's 1818 text of Frankenstein totally shocked me. I, it's so surprising. Hera, it's so surprising. It's How not, I, I never read it before because I thought it was going to be a horror book and who wants horror? Um, but it isn't. What surprised me so much is that the creature was articulate and taught himself how to speak and read and and read. I mean, he read like War and Peace read. War and Peace is gigantic. <laughs> the audio version of War and Peace is like 65 hours long. Okay. And Frankenstein, I just was rooting for the monster the whole time, almost the whole time until he got a little into revenge and things got a little dark for a bit. But so I stopped rooting for him. But still, I was so impressed with how articulate the, the creature was. And I read Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment last summer. That was a hard book. It was big, hard, old school writing. And it 
I just waded into that and muscled my way through it. And by golly, I was going to finish it. And I was so annoyed because the main character has mood swings. Like the whole book is a mood swing. (laughs) I'm going to do something. No, I'm not. Maybe I should. Well, maybe I shouldn't. Here's why I should do it. I'm going to do it. And I did it. Okay. I'm happy about it. No, I'm guilty. No, I'm. it's a giant mood swing. There's so much waffling. And Mary Shelley's Frankenstein also had waffling. Frankenstein was, I'm filled with despair. No, I've got hope. No, I'm sad. No, I'm angry. It's all the waffling. So many mood swings. And that surprised me because I didn't expect it. Did you ever read War and Peace or did only Frankenstein? (laughs) (laughs) I have not read War and Peace yet. Uh, Frankenstein's got one on you. By the next time we talk, you'll have read more of these. <laughs> well, I have been reading a variety of classic literature. Can I tell you my story about Don Quixote? Yeah. Well, you know, I love the musical Man of La Mancha and I love the movie Man of La Mancha, which is based on the book Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes. But the book Don Quixote is awful. And I have read different translated versions. I've listened 35 hours on Audible. And I hate it. He never even sees Dulcinea. It's not the same. The musical and the movie are not the book. I had to read it because I can't say I love Don Quixote and not have read the book because what an idiot that would make me. (laughs) And then you have the opposite experience with Gone with the Wind. Oh, Gone with the Wind was the best book I ever read because Margaret Mitchell wrote so beautifully and you totally understood Scarlett. She was just misunderstood. (laughs) And in the movie, she was just a bitch. (laughs) Oh, just one more. What the best translation of a book to movie or musical was The Color Purple. They did so good. I agree completely. I love all three equally. The musical was the best also. Yeah. I agree. It was a stirring soundtrack for sure. Mm-hmm. My girls still sing lines from it. I love that I've created little Broadway kids. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, we had the weirdest growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I only played Broadway kids in the car. <laughs> I will say you gave me a, a copy of Maya Angelou's Phenomenal Woman. And I loved that book too. That You gave me that book when I needed to get my feet under me again. Mm. Oh, that was very nice of me. <laughs> it was, it was, it was part of my love tank. Yes. Oh, the tank. Oh, I actually made you actually, I don't think I sewed it. Somehow I sealed up a tank top. You tied a knot in the bottom. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> I remember I put Starbucks gift cards in there. You knew me. <laughs> I know. I know you. Coffee in a book. <laughs> that was a good gift to fill up your love tank. Literally, yeah. That book made a a big impact on me. And then also The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. That was just lyrical and beautiful. And I so, so enjoyed that. That's awesome. Do you belong to clubs where people are book readers and you can just discuss books? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) We used to meet in person, but now we meet on Zoom and it's called Overbooked. We talk about books and it's so fun. And I have a, a a colleague of mine who also enjoys reading and we can talk for 
an hour and not even blink and not lose steam and just talk about reading and authors and books and titles and genres. It's all so marvelous. Besides reading, do you have any hobbies? I like to hike. Oh, yeah. You've been hiking Mount Rainier, right? Yes. Last summer, I managed to do about 50 miles at Mount Rainier on different occasions. And I hike. It's not pretty. I'm not a graceful hiker. I sound like a bison with asthma. And I hike at about the pace of a winded sloth. But I'm pretty happy out there on the trail. (laughs) I've got ibuprofen in my backpack. (laughs) Oh, did you have bear spray? Did you have a whole little kit last year? I have the 10 essentials and then some. Uh Even on my short little day hike, I'm a responsible hiker. Do you have a list? I have a list. (laughs) (laughs) I get a little mountain drunk. I can't wait to get out there. And I'll forget to do things. And so I do have a little checklist that I'll go through and make sure that, okay, did I tell my husband what trail I'm on? And if that trail is too busy, what's my backup plan? And I have, I have a little photo of my, my hiking boot I have, <laughs> in case I get lost. So they know what tread, that's my tread. <laughs> And my husband has a copy because I hike solo. So he's got a copy and I leave a copy in my car in case, God forbid, something goes wrong and I'm lost out there. They'll know where to look for me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to make fun of you, but I see the wisdom in it. (laughs) But also, I'm the kind of person who loses her keys every day for 30 years. I don't know. So... Well, I don't lose them every day, but it's often. (laughs) Often enough that you will buy gadgets to help you find your keys. Yes, I do have that. And I think my Apple Watch is solely to help me find my phone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was, this has been lovely. Thanks for chatting with me. Thanks for letting me chat. Wanted to be like Shelly Crosswhite and say, thanks for chatting with me on the telephone, but thanks for chatting with me on the Zoom call. We did the Zoom. We did the Zoom. Are you old enough to come on and Zoom? Come on and Zoom, Zoom. You're not old enough for Zoom? Uh, you're only three years younger, aren't you? Yeah. What the hell? There was a TV show for kids called Zoom. And they would sing, come on and Zoom. Come on and Zoom, Zoom. Come on, give it a try. Don't know that show, but I really hope that doesn't end up on the editing floor. <laughs> I like being in charge. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it won't, but I have a good, strong feeling. As I hear it back and go, yeah, she can't carry a tune. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but you could do subtitles. You could give give us a little video with the bouncing ball. (laughs) That would be very Zoom-like. Those years that they did the little bouncy ball. (laughs) 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 Okay, well, thank you so much. And I love you. And I don't know when your episode will be, but I'll let you know. I do have a list. I have a list. It's the only list I have. (laughs) A podcast schedule list. Well, I'm there every Saturday waiting for the next one. Thank you. You're welcome. That's very sweet. I like having one subscriber. (laughs) (laughs) I have two that I know of for sure. (laughs) Somebody comments every week, which makes me so happy. Anyway, it's very sweet. I really appreciate that you listen every week. (laughs) Wouldn't miss it. Oh, thank you. 
Thanks for having me on the show. You're welcome. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.